Welcome. You're listening to The Aligned Self, conversations in creating a conscious and abundant life. This is Daniel DeNovi. I'll be your guide and host. Let's see just where we can take this. Hello, friend, and welcome back to the conversation. Today's episode, I'm going to talk a little bit deeper about subpersonalities. If you don't know what subpersonalities are, I will touch upon that. Previous episode to this one, I did introduce the concept of probable selves and probable realities, which I will dedicate an entire episode to very, very soon. But today I want to talk about subpersonalities and aspects of your self-concept. One, as a way to prepare or lay some foundational work for the episode that I'll do on the probable selves. And secondarily, I want to give you access to an aspect of your persona, an aspect of your personality that you may not be aware of. And this has come as a result of several case studies that I've done with subpersonalities. Now, if you don't know, I've been exploring self-identity, self-concept all my life. Well, pretty much all my life which for some of you is the equivalent of two or three lifetimes. You see, back when I was 13, I was in the eighth grade, I was in English class, and the school counselor, Fred Smith, was filling in for Miss Kittle. I don't know where she was. She was off gallivanting around the countryside. Well, anyways, there was a classroom assignment, and Fred was just filling in. He was standing up at the front of the room with his arms crossed, just kind of surveying, you know, everyone working. And as I completed my work, I walked up by him, and he watched me, and I placed my paper on the desk. And as I was returning, he stopped me and asked me a question. He said, Daniel, who are you? Well, the question caught me totally off guard. And as I know now, because I've been a hypnotist for many, many years, I did not realize at the time, though, I was in deep trance. In that confused state, we acquiesce to a trance state to try and figure things out. When our conscious mind is overloaded, we go into a natural trance. And so my mind, my other than conscious mind, went into a trans-derivational search, searching all my files to come up with the right answer. And I said, well, well, um, I'm me. And he said, no, no, no. Who are you? And suddenly I realized I had the wrong answer, and I started searching again, searching again, going deeper and deeper. I didn't realize it was a trance-deepening experience at the time. And I I said, well, I I don't know. I, I guess I don't know. And he said, figure it out. Figure it out. So here is a command. The universe set up it perfectly for me to have this command, this mission for my mind, for my life, to figure out Who am I? What is the meaning of self-identity, the self-concept? Well, fast forward to 1988. I'm 27, 28 years old, and I'm neck deep in my NLP, my Neuro Linguistic Programming Certification. And I took part in a process where I identified an aspect, different parts of me that were incongruent, meaning that they were operating on a different agenda than my conscious awareness. Call it a subconscious aspect. Well, as part of my training, my my partner, my training partner, led me through a process to reintegrate the various parts of my persona. These different parts could be referred to as a sub-personality or a subcomponent of my overall makeup as or my overall makeup of my self-concept. 
That was my first introduction to self-personalities. Now, self-personalities is based on the seminal work, the seminal synthesis of Roberto Asagioli, an Italian psychologist who was a student of Sigmund Freud and Carl Jung. Now, Carl Jung and Sigmund Freud broke ways because they had a difference of opinion. And then Asagioli also had a difference of opinion, a different philosophy that had developed out of each of their work. And so combining the powers of the unconscious, the, the drives of the unconscious from Freud, and the archetype, the idea of archetypes and the shadow self from Jung, he created a philosophy or an idea, a psychological framework that included and centered self and subpersonalities. Asagioli recognized the multidimensional aspect or the multidimensional properties of our self-concept. That's why when Fred asked me, who are you? There's so many different dimensions to what makes up who we are. It is difficult to say with any certainty in this moment exactly who you are. And over the years, I have asked this question hundreds of times in workshops and in seminar settings, and it is always a blank stare. It's always dead silence when I ask, who are you? Because we cannot point to any one aspect of who we are, can't point to our body, can't point to our lifestyle, our job, our family life. You can't point to any one part of it and say, this is who I am. It is a constellation of ideas, a collection of thoughts, and actually a constellation of sub-personalities. You see, as our self-concept is developing, we encounter certain challenges of life. Sometimes these are somewhat traumatic. Sometimes they're just problematic. They're usually stressful in nature. So these subpersonalities are generated out of facing a stressful event. It's a way to cope with the stress. In that moment, when you face a stressful situation or a traumatic situation or just something that is off kilter, it throws you for a loop. A subpersonality is splintered off to deal with that particular threat, quote-unquote. At that moment, that subpersonality is frozen in time, and typically it develops one strategy to deal with the threat, deal with the stress, to cope with it, and then it uses that strategy over and over and over again because it worked that one time, and so it will continue to do what it did back then in the future. And it isn't necessarily kept up to date. At the other-than-conscious level, it is locked in time. It is locked back in the time when it was first created, which could be 7, 8, 9, 10, 12 years old. And so that strategy that you developed at an earlier age in life is now being repeated over and over and over again in your adult life as a way to cope with certain situations in your life. Now, when we create a conscious intention and we're not in agreement with this self-personality, it may occur to us as self-sabotage. If this sub-personality is not in alignment, it will get in the way. It will derail your intention in order to protect you. You see, every sub-personality is benevolent in nature. Even though its agenda may fly in the face of a conscious intention, its ultimate purpose is to serve you, to keep you safe, to lead you to the good life. But remember, it's operating on the perspective and the perception of perhaps a 7- or 8-year-old or a 10-year-old. 
And you might ask, how can that be? I mean, I'm now, what, 28, 36, 55. Isn't my subconscious kept up to date on how old I am? Not necessarily. Because it was separated out in space and time. On the other than conscious level, there is no such thing as past or future. It experiences everything as if it's right now. That's why you can think of a past event, maybe something that was 30 years ago, and it was not necessarily the most favorable event then, but as you rethink about it, recall it into your present, you reactivate all the internal sensations, those mucky-muck feelings, those less-than-desirable feelings that were there back when you first experienced it, 30 years later. Because your other-than-conscious mind does not deal with past and present. It only experiences the now. So those past traumatic events, when not processed properly, when they don't have, a, I guess, a hook to hang on in your head or a peg to hang on, it just ends up on the floor and you have to keep picking it up, picking it up over and over again because it's in the way. These unprocessed emotions, these unprocessed events live within us. They are a constant source of inner stress, inner turmoil, even though it is kept well below the surface for most of us. Even if, as you remember, you can't remember any overt traumatic event. I've had several clients that have been in the subpersonality program that don't remember any significant traumatic events, yet they're there. Because it doesn't matter on the specific event. What matters is how we interpret that event and what we make it mean about us. Well, that's a short synopsis of what subpersonalities are. Our self-concept is multidimensional. It's not necessarily given by the events that take place. It is given, our self-concept is born out of, what we make those events mean about us. What does it mean for us to be in that situation, relating to those people, to that situation, to those circumstances? We develop a persona in order to battle or meet these challenges of life. So as I asserted earlier, we're not born with a fully formed self-concept. It's layered, it's pieced together layer by layer, event by event over time. And so since there is no focused, organized methodology, which we apply to our self-concept, it's thrown together rather haphazardly. And so over time, we develop conflicting beliefs, conflicting ideas, conflicting aspects. Part of me wants to do this, or part of me wants to do that. I can see where this would be advantageous, but then again, it would also present a threat over here. Most people don't necessarily recognize that these different aspects are different subcomponents of the whole, because it's so familiar, because it's been with you for so long, a lot of people just say, well, I'm very indecisive, or I, I don't know what I really want, or it seems like I always get in my own way. I have these grand visions, but I always do something to sabotage my efforts. So that it comes across as if there's this, <laughs> this feeling of self-loathing or self-hate. I must really hate myself in order to trip myself up all the time. Maybe I have a fear of success or a fear of failure. You see, that's our conscious assessment of this inner conflict inside. We think we're just kind of broken or we don't work in certain ways. The truth is, though, as a human being, as a mind, we work perfectly. 
And that's the beauty of it. Everything is working perfectly. You are whole, complete, and perfect, even though it feels like you have a disjointed perspective at times. So just so you're aware of it, I haven't yet gotten to the actual topic of the podcast, even though I wanted to reacquaint you or lay the, gr- the groundwork for what subpersonalities are. What I wanted to make you aware of, though, as a result of all my interviews, I've come to a realization that there is the aspect of us, the dominant personality, the, do- the dominant subpersonality that we feel is us by and large. It, it basically has most of the bandwidth when we think of ourselves. If that personality looks at different aspects of your persona and has a judgment about it, this is important. If you have an aspect of your personality, it's usually the one that sets the big intentions. I want to do this. I want to create this with my life. I want this in my relationship. If you have another part of you that seems to sabotage your efforts, gets in the way, We demonize that other aspect of you. If you're in judgment of an aspect of yourself, then the part that's in judgment is a subpersonality. It's not who you really are. Even though it feels like that's who I am, that's that's who I spend the most time with. No, if you're not loving yourself unconditionally, all parts of you, then there is an aspect that is not your full personality. Now, a couple episodes, I talked about the higher self, and I talked about the ego. When there's insecurities about your persona, your self-concept, that is known as the ego. And most people are driven in life in order to pacify or alleviate those insecurities. But from a greater perspective, there is a higher self. You have a oversoul. You have an aspect of your being that is completely compassionate and accepting of all parts of you. To honestly deal with your subpersonalities, that's the space you want to come from. And when you see these aberrations, so to speak, of your behavior, and you recognize that there's a subpersonality at work, there's a part of you that has a different agenda than the whole. Rather than demonize it or, I guess, roll over it, because a lot of people will just say, I'll just stick it out. I'll push through it. I'll push that part down as if it doesn't exist or doesn't isn't important. And that's the mistake we make. But there's a part of us that this dominant subpersonality wants to power over, power through this fear, this resistance as an aberration and really doesn't want to give it equal time or full acknowledgement. And so this applies to you if you find that there are aspects of your personality that you reject. For instance, a couple of days ago, I was working with a client and she said that there was an aspect of fear. And then she said, but the fear isn't real. I understand that the fear isn't real, that it's just some imagining. I'll just power through it and push it down and persevere and do it anyways. And you probably have read the book, feel the fear and do it anyways. Well, you might not have read the book because it came out in the 80s, but you have probably heard the phrase, feel the fear and do it anyways. Just do it. And I have to admit, occasionally that works. But over the long haul, ideally, we want to acknowledge that part that is fearful. It's fearful for a reason. 
consider it as a young child and that your over self, your higher self is the most compassionate parent you can ever imagine. Probably much more compassionate and understanding than your parents that you had in real life, no matter how good they were. But if you can be with this part as the most compassionate, loving aspect that you could ever imagine, would it roll over? Would it push that aspect down? Would it push it aside as if it didn't matter? No, you would acknowledge that part as having a valid point of view. And that's what we want to do. That's the process I utilize when I work with people one-on-one with their subpersonalities. When I recognize one raising their hand and I recognize that there's a, a, a dominant subpersonality that's trying to push it down or push it aside or ignore it, pretend that it's not really there, that it's not really an issue, that it's not really important. See, that's what we do. In order to survive, we push that down. But if we come from the perspective of the most compassionate, loving parent, guardian, guardian angel that you can ever imagine, it would tune in and check in. Part of you would say, isn't that fascinating? I never actually saw that part before. I didn't pay attention to that part. I wonder what that part wants. And you tune in like you're talking to a young child. Hey, dear one, what's your concern? What's the problem? Well, if we continue on, we're risking failure. We might, we might lose the good esteem of the people that we love. They might reject us. And there might be part of you that thinks that's nonsense. Like other people don't really matter. But if there's a part of you that's concerned with being rejected, it's a valid concern. We want to treat it as if it's a valid concern. And we talk to that part as if it has a legitimate concern. You can engage with that part in a legitimate, deep conversation, a give and take. Actually imagine that it is personified, that it has a a personality, because more than likely it does. You see, these subpersonalities, when they're created, they have a maniacal focus. They have a singular goal in mind. That's to protect you more often than not. Sometimes they have other agendas. But we actually ask, what is your agenda? What's your intention? And we drill down until it gets to a point. And usually, even though it's derailing some of your conscious intentions, the overall intention is that it loves you and it wants you to be happy. And once you realize that all these sub-personalities, all these sub-aspects of your persona are benevolent in nature, they want the best for you, they're doing the best they can with the resources they have, then we can be a lot more accepting We can be a lot more compassionate. We can give ourselves grace to the nth degree. We can be gentle with ourselves. I can't really go into the whole dynamic of how I work with different subpersonalities inside this episode. The biggest part that I wanted to drill in or to tap into was this idea that if we have a dominant subpersonality that feels like this is us, But if you are judgmental about different aspects of your being, then that is just one of many sub-personalities. It's just a little more dominant than the other ones. Now, it's only dominant in its expression. It's not necessarily dominant in its power. Because if you have sub-personalities that derail your conscious intentions, then those sub-personalities are a lot more powerful than your dominant sub-personality. I'm hoping this makes sense. 
by and large, you have the experience that just is who you is. And it, you have different aspects that get in the way or sabotage your efforts. And you don't know why. You just make this assessment that part of you just doesn't want the success. Part of you is afraid. Well, yeah, but you don't drill down. That's the thing. We don't actually acknowledge that part as having a valid concern and explore that. Because sometimes it's embarrassing to have that part of us, that aspect of us. And we don't necessarily want to be with it. We don't want to admit that that's us. This is, this is what's referred to as our shadow self. We push it into the shadows. We don't want to deal with it directly. And so it appears as if it is contrary or counterintuitive to what we really want. It just is scared. And it wants to be acknowledged and have a conversation. It wants to be seen. What makes the subpersonality work, really work, is the idea that whatever choice we made at a younger age was one of many possible choices that could have been made, one of many probable selves or probable solutions or probable realities that we could have tapped into at that moment. But for whatever reason, we chose the one we chose. And through a process of re-educating or reprocessing that event in a way that it serves us, we can literally rewrite the present moment and rewrite the future. So as I work with subpersonalities, I utilize the context of re-education. For whatever reason, we chose a certain response. We learned from that experience to behave in a particular way. And so it's a re-education these conversations we have is re-educating different parts of us and creating the understanding that we're all working on the same team. And so there's a process of integration, bringing everyone back into the whole or back into the fold so we're working as a team. You can think of it as a basketball team. You have five guys on a team, five women on a team. If it's co-ed, you have a co-ed team. But you have different people fulfilling different roles inside the team. And when one person wants to be a ball hog or have all the glory, then the other players feel as if they're not important. They start being resentful about the person that's hogging the ball. Even if one of your subpersonalities is Michael Jordan and he can do wonderful things or marvelous, phenomenal things with the basketball, if you're one of the other four people on the floor with him, you don't really just want to stand around and watch him play. You want to be a contributing partner, a contributing member of the team. So subpersonality work is about creating a team or a unified sense of self where you know yourself not to be broken, but your whole complete and perfect, perfectly imperfect. Perfectionism or perfectionist, that's a subpersonality that has its own agenda all on its own. Ultimately, the goal of this particular episode is just to make you aware that all parts of you want the best for you. And if there is a part of you that is judgmental of different aspects of your persona, different aspects of your personality, different aspects of who you think you are, then that part is not necessarily the big boss. It's just the most dominant subpersonality at the time. And that they're in the context of the higher self, the 
wise inner sage, there is a more compassionate, loving, understanding aspect of you than you've yet connected with. I would be happy and overjoyed if you came away knowing that you are a multidimensional being, that there are multiple aspects to your expression, and that you are whole, complete, and perfect, that all parts of you want the best for you, and that if you don't yet experience it, there is a unified expression, a congruent, aligned self of which you can live into. This is why I named the podcast The Aligned Self. And it's true, I currently have a group coaching program on combining the subpersonality work with my work on creating your future self or the aligned self. It is totally transformational. It will change your life in the most interesting ways, most dramatic ways, in ways that are the most beneficial and joy unleashing for you. It's true that you do have to start taking responsibility for your life, taking responsibility for your thoughts and actions, but it becomes a joy. It becomes a unified self-expression. And the most beautiful aspect of it is that it is the most authentic expression you could come up with. Your self-esteem goes through the roof, and you know yourself as being unstoppable, unflappable, unmessable with meaning that you have such a strong foundation in knowing who you are that you can bear any scrutiny, any criticism, and you know that it does not impact who you know yourself to be. Because through the process of the aligned self, you choose who you want to be. It's not a default haphazard construction. So there's no insecurity about that. If you want to join me in the current program, Contact me at support at danov.com or go to yesdaniel.com and contact me through the contact form. Let me know that you're interested and then we'll talk about the process of getting involved. Until next time, this is your friend and host, Daniel Danovi, urging you to follow your plays. Live your life from inner signals. Be inner directed as you engage in the epic adventure. <laughs> <laughs>